why didn't you stay in IT? Where where was your next stop from there? So you know they had a and they had a breach, right? They had a a, a security breach where everything we were being like cyber attacked. So the company was basically about to dissolve. Um, and at that, t- it was really bad, actually. Like they were holding the our practices hostage for bitcoins and things like that. It was it made pretty big news in the dental space. Hey, I want you to share your story, but it's okay if you just say I accidentally ended up in the dental industry because everybody accidentally ends up here. I'm here by accident. Lori's here by accident. And so is everybody else I talk to who's not a doctor. And then, but the second rule is once you're in the dental industry, it doesn't let you leave. Like you can try if you want, but you always end you up back in the dental industry. You're not going so, anywhere. <laughs> you have too much knowledge, too much unique knowledge that just has to be applied to the dental industry. So you bought all these offices. You bought 170 practices right before COVID? Yeah. So so, literally, I was like, nice to meet you. Welcome to my team. It's so nice. You know, 15 people, like handshake. And literally two days later, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to, you know, riff you. Welcome to another episode of Dental Marketing Theory. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more new patients so you can grow the way that you want. And today I have somebody from marketing. I love talking about marketing. Lori, who is the VP of marketing for Peak Dental, and she has managed hundreds and hundreds of dental offices and helped them grow through their marketing. And you're going to want to hear what it's like inside the DSO world of marketing and how she built her career and how she ended up where she's at today. And also what it's like working at a remote DSO, where they don't have a home office, everybody works from home. So you're not going to want to miss this. This is a really good episode and gives you a peek behind the curtain. Stay tuned. All right, Lori, I am excited to have this conversation with you. I've been on several podcasts and have been interacting with you a lot lately. And I'm really excited for the audience to hear your story because you're in a unique seat at a unique organization. And I want you to kind of share how you got into the dental industry. It was an interesting story. Um, I, I out of college, I started a business. Um, it was wildly successful. We owned it for twelve years, sold it, um, and and made a little bit of money. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to live in Florida anymore. I want to live someplace there's seasons. So I picked up and moved to Colorado. And I didn't need a job at the time. We just sold the company. What, what kind of business? What kind of business was it? You're gonna you're gonna laugh. So it was like an industrial painting for oil li- and gas lines and traffic signals. But we figured out a way to do it environmentally friendly. And then we ended uh, up selling the technology. That's so smart. You know, it's the it's the most boringest industry. So boring. <laughs> and yeah, so boring. But they're the most successful because it's like people, everybody wants to do the next SaaS product or the next big thing. You know what I mean? But most people don't want to focus on how to paint trucks or how to paint lines on the road and do it uh, well and do it, uh, uh, you know, environmentally friendly. So that's so cool that you sold that. And got out. So you, so you were in a pretty comfortable position at that point. Like you like, didn't really need to work if you didn't want to. Is that? I was just. I was happened? like, I want to go someplace new, and I want to. I want to find something that I I love, like an industry that I love. So I really kind of leaned on LinkedIn a good amount. While when I first moved out here, I did a ton of traveling, um, and then I came across a uh, um, a dental IT company. Uh, they needed someone to do marketing and business development. Um, and I was like, I don't know anything about dentistry except that I don't usually like going to the dentist, um, but I'll give it a go. And I went to, to the interview and honestly, you know, I just really liked the team. Uh, it was a really small operation, but I thought I could grow with the company. 
Um, and you know, that's how I, I got in. Okay. So, so I, you went to, from painting to it and, but, but it was marketing. Excited. So you, yeah, I'm really excited. Okay. <laughs> How'd you make the jump to marketing? Like why marketing into it and dental, but why not well, I have operations or. I have my degree in marketing. So what I did, I did, and while I did run my own company, all the marketing pieces were done by me. It's something I have a passion for. It's something I understand. Hey, I got a secret for you. Dental marketing agencies are dead. You got that right. Dental marketing agencies aren't performing the way that they used to because there's so much more complications to growing a dental office than just getting a marketing company. At SMC, we are passionate about being a growth partner and helping your practices grow the way that you want. And we have a free newsletter that goes out every single month at dentalmarketingdigest.com. If you sign up, it's free. And there's over a thousand practices that are already getting these free tips. You don't want to miss out. Sign up now. Links below. Got it. Okay. So you so you had more of a marketing background, more of a marketing mindset when you built your business. Then you were like, hey, I'll do marketing for somebody, why not IT and dental? And then how did, what happened after that? Like where, why didn't you stay in IT? Where, where was your next stop from there? So, you know, they had a, and they had a breach, right? They had a, a, a security breach where everything we were being like cyber attacked. So the company was basically about to dissolve. Um, and at that time, it was really bad, actually. Like they were holding the, our practices hostage for Bitcoins and things like that. It was, it made pretty big news in the dental space. Um, wow. And so I had been um, talking to ASI Dental. They were lur- lurking for a marketing director. Um, and they make endodontic delivery systems uh, here locally in Colorado. Uh, they're pretty, it's it's a pretty niche thing, but they're very popular with endodontists. Um, so I was excited to, to do something that was American made. Uh, you know, I could learn more about the dental industry. Uh, and that was where I went after IT. Mm, okay. So you, so... So you go over there and then how, like, what, what was your main role there? So was it marketing? Yeah. As director of marketing, uh, I was, I basically had like a staff of like two, it was very small. Right. But we did a ton of like conferences and events and, um, we even had an in-house TV studio. So I kind of came up with an idea for us to do lunch and learn virtually, um, with these endodontic systems so that we wouldn't have to travel around with them, which was like the main cost of doing these things. So I developed a whole program where we did like lunch and learns uh, and it really changed their line of business. They still do it to this day. That is so cool. Yeah, I remember when dental implants first came out, you couldn't really market them because no one knew what they were. So you couldn't just put up an ad that said dental implants, right? You, because people wouldn't click on it. And the demographic of people who were buying implants at that time weren't huge digital users. They weren't using social media. Maybe they were just getting onto Facebook a little bit. So it was like, it was really hard to market. So back then everybody would do these lunch and learns where you'd go in, hey, we'll give you a lunch and we'll explain what dental implants are and we'll kind of educate you. And that's how kind of the dental implant marketing world developed. So you you even took it a step further and said, hey, we're going to do it virtually. How, yeah. how, did you, how did you get people to like watch it virtually? So I use one like my marketing um, assistant essentially would reach out. Hey, we're, we would like to do a lunch and learn. We're going to send you lunch so you can do it. Here's our Zoom link. Uh, we do it live in studio. It was myself and a provider. And we would walk through how the different like um, 
pieces of the endodontic delivery system, think ways that you could utilize it, ways you can like d- get rid of clutter. I mean, it was it was like an hour long TV set. Like it was like being on a TV show, actually. And we did two or three of those a day. And we were talking to 10 to 30 doctors at a time. So you have to think like, you know, it, it really did change their business and save them a ton of Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's the part I missed. You were reaching out to the doctors, getting them to watch. Cause at the same time, you were the, the, the doctors themselves were also reaching out to patients and doing these like learn uh, lunch and learn things as well. Um, so that, that's fascinating. Okay. So then, okay. You built that up. What was your next, next stepping stone after that? Again, LinkedIn. I love my niece on LinkedIn. Um, a recruiter from mid Atlantic reached out to me uh, and it actually said perfect teeth. And I, I made a face and I was like, Oh, it's a Medicaid DSO when I'd always heard the DSOs were like a bad word. And I was like, yeah. and I look them up on Glassdoor and these reviews are, I mean, t- atrocious. But I was like, all right, I'm going to, I want to see, I want to see what it's like. So I went to the interview, um, met with their CEO at the time and their COO and just kind of fell in love with the people in the culture. Um, and yeah, that's how I got into DSOs. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I was told, cause I worked, I used to work with probably when we started, we had like 50 practices we worked with, but they were all single location and all of them and all the people they worked with, so all of their consultants, everybody said, DSOs are the straight devil. Right. Do not talk to them. Do not work with them. And I was just like, oh, okay. It must be like really bad. These must be like the worst people in the world. But then I started meeting some people in the DSO space and they weren't that bad. And then a lot of my single location clients started turning into groups. Now, that right. a lot of them didn't call themselves DSOs because they wanted to uh, recruit. But I thought that was so fascinating that like literally underneath my nose as they were all telling me, no, this is the worst thing in the world. A lot of them were turning into groups and in essence, DSOs, they just didn't call themselves that. Um, so I, I was with you. I was like, man, how, how, why, why do people hate this so much? And the, the basic thing that I learned was there's really, really good DSOs that do a great job. They take care of the team. They take care of their patients. And there's really bad DSOs that don't take care of their teams and don't take care of their patients. And there's really good single doctor locations with one owner doctor that do great work, take care of their team, do take care of their patients. And then there's horrible single doctors that do horrible work and don't take care of their team. And it's just kind of like, you know, that it's just like everything else. There's good and bad in, in both sides. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, honestly, I, I'm so glad I made the leap. Like, I I love what I do. I love the DSO space. And, you know, so many interesting people. And once you get into dental, you never leave. So mm-hmm. that's the other role. So we were just talking beforehand. So I I, I told Lori because I had to tell everybody this. Hey, I want you to share your story. But it's okay if you just say I accidentally ended up in the dental industry because everybody accidentally ends up here. I'm here by accident. Lori's here by accident. So is everybody else I talk to who's not a doctor. And then, but the second rule is once you're in the dental industry, it doesn't let you leave. Like you can try if you want, but you always end up back in the dental industry. You're not going anywhere. (laughs) You have too much knowledge, too much unique knowledge that just has to be applied to the dental industry. So how, so now you're in the DSO space. Tell me a little bit about that journey of like developing that and building that out and and kind of going down that road. Sure. When I started with Mid Atlantic, they had 17 offices um, and they were just getting ready to buy perfect teeth. Uh, and that was going to be our only branded footprint. Um, we bought 94 perfect teeth. So on top of the 17 and the 17 were all unbranded. They were meant to look in the in the northeast, meant to look like 
standalone mom and pop shops. Like patients never knew that they were owned by a DSO. Um, and then we bought perfect teeth. Um, and we, you know, I I was so excited to have 94 more, you know, we're growing, we're growing literally three months later, we, we bought dental one, which was 170 more, (laughs) which is quite a roller coaster ride, especially for somebody who's new to the DSO space. So it was really a lot of like buckle in and just figure it out. Like you just got to figure it out. Um, and then COVID hit, right? So Holy you got all these offices. You bought 170 practices right before COVID? Yeah. And so, so literally, okay, I was like, hey, nice to meet you. Welcome to my team. It's so nice. You know, 15 people, like, handshake. And literally two days later, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to, you know, riff you. And did you did you stay on? So you stayed on with the I company, did, though? The during, yeah. Yeah. I and was just what? me and one other. So you're managing 300, 400 locations basically just you and maybe someone helping you like walk me through what that was like during COVID, especially around this big treatment, because, you know, I work with a, a bunch of GP offices as well as like this, the specialty offices, but, um, the specialty just like the GP at least could do emergencies and stuff like that and do root canals and fillings if they needed to. Right. But the specialty offices, I can't even imagine what you were going through during, during that time. So we kept our, like Mid-Atlantic kept their specialty offices open um, and we had emergent care, right, items. But for um, our oral surgeon and our, you know, our, um, yeah, our oral surgeons, they could, they did treatment as long as it was an emergency, right? So we kept them running. Uh, and we did a lot of teledentistry, which I still can't wrap mm. my head around. I don't understand. Like, I get it. Like, if you have, like, if your teeth are, are not straight, like, I could see how a teledentistry appointment would be like, oh, you need braces. I don't understand how you could like give like treatment, you know, plans on people's teeth. Like from, I I can't, whatever we did it. I I can't wrap my head around it, you know? Yeah. So, so you were, so people are still coming in and spending money. Yeah. During that time. It was, was, yeah, it was pennies on the dollar. I mean, yeah, it was like going from, I think we were at at that time, it was like close to 10 million a day in revenue. And it was at like 200,000 a day. I mean, it was, Bad. It was bad. Bad news. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what happened to us too. Yeah. We lost 75% of our revenue for for an extended period of time just because every client we had stopped, right? They're like, we're gonna go sit at our house and wait to, to wait this out. And then we had to okay, fire so all then of what, our vendors. We had to like literally be like, Oh, I'm, we can't pay you. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, it was awful. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Um, but we made it out. And so now where, where did, what happened after COVID? Where, where did you end up? Where did you land after that? So we didn't work by any more practices after COVID. I mean, we did a couple, maybe like a onesie twosie there, but, um, I believe, gosh, 2022, um, Western Dental bought us. Um, yeah. and we, we were under the impression that we were going to be bringing out more private equity funding. Like we didn't really know what was happening. And it was, I remember it like vividly, it was a Friday morning, the senior leadership team got uh, like a phone call, all of us. And it was like, Hey, we've been sold. Let your teams know it's being announced in 15 minutes. Uh, we don't know what it means. So we were like, oh. So they sold, but you didn't know what their game plan was. We had no idea. Western team was so, they were gracious to us. You know, they flew us out, let us know that they would need us, right? I think at that time they had 800 offices, 700 offices. Yeah, they, they're big they, on the they, West Coast. They're huge. They needed the help, right? You know, and they extended the all branch to all of us to like the senior leadership team, at least to stay in place. 
Um, but I kind of just opted to go do my own thing. I wanted to take a little break, travel a little bit over the summer and then regroup and see where I wanted to land. Um, you know, I, I was in the unique situation with finding peak. Actually, I think, I guess it kind of like suck, like kind of, we found each other. Right. Um, because they're in Colorado and Texas. Um, you know, I have a little girl Uh and it's less traveling. I was traveling like crazy with mid Atlantic. So this, you know, it was, it was the right fit at the right time, but I actually ran into AJ at Daikama and that's how I got my job. Awesome. Yeah. I think I, I think I ran into him at the same Daikama event because I was talking to him before you came, came on. So it was like, that was all happening, like all at the same time. And then, so walk, walk through now. So you, you now basically are work from home, um, for, for them. And then what, what's your like official title and like what, what you do, um, for, for peak, uh, VP of marketing. I run all of the marketing, um, tactics, channels, budgeting, um, I work very tightly with the CEO. Um, you know, he likes to be, he's very involved. He's a hands-on CEO, which I love. Um, he's very analytics driven um, because of his consulting background. I've never seen so many spreadsheets in my life, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a good tool to have in, in my toolbox. Yeah. Okay. So VP and then uh, VP of uh, marketing or growth, you said marketing. Mark- okay, cool. I always just call you marketing, the marketing That's goat. Fine. So I, I never can remember your title. Um, so, um, so then you are, and then you're virtual right now, right? So you don't mm-hmm. actually meet physically at a DSO or anything like that usually, right? I do into the offices sometimes for content or just to like introduce myself here and there, bring treats. But no, I'm I'm mostly like at home, which peak was let that way before COVID. They never have had a home office. So it's really unique. Um, I kind of love it, right? You get the autonomy, but you, we all also do lots of phone calls and Zoom. So we still feel like we're part of the team. Yeah, that's huge. I, I think for from a DSO standpoint, I understand why people um, want to meet in office. But I've always thought like, man, if I was going to rent a DSO, I'd want to do it virtually because it just saves so much energy and so much time and you can meet virtually. What um, and, and so I'm 100% with this, but I will ask you this. What are some of the downsides of meeting uh, being remote from from your perspective? I mean, I miss being around people. I'm super social, um, you know, and the routine of getting up and getting dressed and looking super nice to go into an office. It like, I mean, while it, it is, a, is a pain, it also gets you prepped for the day, gets your head in the right yeah. space and like rolling out of bed and throwing on a hoodie. It, it's not exactly the same like morning, like pump up. So I've had yeah. to adjust the way I, I roll out of bed. Yeah. And, and you know what, you can control those things too, but you have to be very disciplined to control them. Right. So you have to be like, I'm waking up at this time. I'm going to work out. I'm actually going to do my hair. I'm actually going to pick my outfit the night before. And sometimes you just don't have the motivation to do that when you're working remotely. Um, but I've, I've built out, I, we were remote. So we, we have a, a decent sized team and we're all, we're all scattered all over the United States. So it's, it's, uh, something that I've played with for many years. Um, the one thing, the downside I would say is collaboration is harder. So one thing that, that I miss about being in office and I love working from home. So I'm big pro work from home, Oh, me too. but one thing that I miss is like, so if we work in an office together and our, my desk is next to yours, or your office is next to mine. And I have like a quick question for you. All I have to do is just poke my head in and go, Hey, Lori, uh, what do you think about this? Would you go with green or black on this? And you're like, black, cool. Thanks, Lori. That's what I thought. I was going to go that direction, but I just wanted, or whatever it is, right? That's so easy to do in office. 
And you just lose that. Now, a lot of people say, well, what about Slack or what about what Discord? Yeah, and all we the- use Slack. Yeah. So. yeah, Slack is cool. The problem is, is that what ends up happening, and this is kind of the downside, I would love your thoughts on this from my perspective, is I'm in meetings all day and then Slacks are coming in. So I'm trying to be focused in my meetings, right? Because I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job and being present in my meetings. But then I have these questions coming in. So I get, I think I get more done by being remote. But I also have more opportunity for distractions and less, a little bit less collaboration. In office, you have a lot more collaboration, but the distractions go through the roof where people are popping in and out all day. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm, Mid-Atlantic, we, we worked out of an office, right? I had, an, I had an office in almost every city we were in. So, uh, but, you know, there was a lot of drama around that. You know, oh, so-and-so got a raise and I didn't get a raise and there was tears and I, we, I don't love any of that. And honestly, we're here remote. There's zero drama. There, if you have, I always tell people, if you were causing drama in a remote company, you Not, are extremely toxic <laughs> because exactly. you can't, you, people aren't, you know, hooking up with each other and things well, aren't happening at the, you know, the, this person said this or this or that, like that disappears from a remote company. Right. Right. And I, like I said, I've never, there's no tears. It's so, I mean, it's night and day difference. Maybe Mid-Atlantic was just super dramatic, but it was just, a, it was a lot. It was like being in a sorority house. Yeah. No, I, you're hundred percent spot on. I've, I remember working in office and just constantly being in meetings, solving people's drama problems that were just had nothing to do with work. And it was regularly, it was like every couple times a week. And we weren't even that big of a team at the time. But that all, a lot of that evaporates when you work remotely. That's awesome. Well, Lori, this has been really, really cool. I, I thank you for just coming on and sharing. I think the dental industry really lacks transparency into a lot of this stuff. And mm-hmm. the, I think the biggest thing that it lacks is like, everybody always talks really good. Like I'm the VP of marketing and everything's great. And it's like, okay, cool. But what about the rest of it? What about the stuff that isn't working? Or what, how could you make this better? How could, and, and so I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing this side of the dental industry that most people just frankly don't know about. Right. No, oh, oh, I'm, I'm very transparent. I always tell people I'm an open book, maybe too open. Uh, but no, I think you learn more from failure than you do from success. Uh, and anyone that says that something's perfect, uh, obviously isn't looking closely enough. So, you know, yeah, 100%. I love learning from you. I love all your journey. Love what you're doing there, Peak. And uh, I love interacting with you. So thank you so much uh, for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you, Gary. Always a pleasure.